0: Hello everyone, this is Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jude 3 Project. And I just wanna take this time to personally thank all of our monthly supporters. We could not do what we do without giving from people like you. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. And if you're not a monthly supporter and you would like to become one, you can go to jude3project.org and hit the donate tab and sign up. We are grateful for you and we hope you enjoy today's new episode. God bless. Hello, welcome to the Jew3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project.
1: Like Lisa said, my name is Yana Connor, and I would like to welcome you to our conversation on navigating suffering. And I am so thankful for the opportunity that we have today um, to have Dr. Cynthia James with us, um, as well as Priscilla Shira and Lisa Fields. And so um, each of these women, I have just grown to uh, love and adore them from afar, um, particularly Dr. Uh, Cynthia James. Um, I was first exposed to her through Ju3 Project and just hearing her talk about the word was incredible. Um, and then i um, this is kind of a full circle moment for me um, because I first heard uh, Priscilla Shira share at a conference and I had never heard a woman um like just teach the Bible that way. And so I just remember going back to my campus and just having such a hunger and a thirst uh, for God's word. And so um, just so thankful to have both of them here. And then Lisa is like the equivalent of a real one. (laughs) Um, So thankful for this past year um, and the friendship that we've been able to forge. Um, She's just been such a challenger. And I'm excited to get the opportunity to interview her um, today because she's got so much wisdom Um, to share. And so just to open up our time, I think we're all aware that there is a lot of suffering going on in our world right now. Um, And really there always is, but there seems to be right now that what's happening in the world that we're all kind of entering into a collective um, suffering. And so I don't know about you, but with each passing event, I'm literally holding my breath, uh, waiting for the next thing um, to happen and waiting to see if there's going to be more hashtags and more more faces or just more bad news. And so I would just like to start this time by asking this question. Um, what are, for you all, what are some passages of scriptures or stories in the Bible that have just really shaped your understanding of suffering?
2: Uh, I'll, I'll throw out one and maybe we'll just go around from there. There's um, uh, stories tend to speak to me, sometimes more than isolated passages. And the story of Jephthah's daughter, uh, she's a young girl, and she is in a position of being sacrificed through no fault of her own. Her father has made a brash statement, um, perhaps because of his passion and eagerness to have a victory. Perhaps it's out of his history of coming out of a questionable past in terms of his birth. But however, um, he's made a brash statement in deference to the Lord saying, "What, whoever or whatever comes out of my house and meets me, if I have this victory, that I will sacrifice to the Lord. And his young daughter comes to meet him. So she is doomed. She has a death sentence on her life. Um, she's uh, confined to have to go through this. There's nothing she did to bring this on. Um, and so to skip all that, one of the ways she deals with it, and the scripture is fairly um, elusive in some ways, so I get to paint in the edges, but she walks the veil, and I haven't read it recently, but in my mind, she walks kind of a hill and dale, kind of a valley and a mountain peak. I'm sure the word doesn't say that, but my panoramic version does. So she walks the veil with her other friends and young maidens. And it says something to me about I don't have to suffer alone, um, that there are people I can invite into that space of pain, um, that space of um, of dire desperation. It's not clear in the end if indeed she does lose her life. The scripture, I think, leans more toward that happening, but I've heard other people in their exegesis of it feel that she lives on. But the fact that she has... Uh, She creates a companion and a community, not just a faith, but of those who enter in. We don't hear any words from them. We don't see any actions, but their presence is there. And they become a kind of Old Testament paraclete in walking through trouble. So that's one thing that I try to remind myself. I don't have to suffer in isolation. Life has its conditions and some will come. I don't have to take the blame for all of them, even though some I direct my way but to look for how I can build in a context of support.
1: I love that, I love that. Um, Priscilla, what about you?
3: You know, for me, one of the places in scripture where I've been most encouraged is in Genesis, the 21st chapter when we see a woman named Hagar and she's been abused, she has been misused and she's been discarded and forgotten. So talk about oppressed and marginalized. Um, That is Hagar. Um, And here she is sitting alone by herself in a place where she does not and and does not know. Not only does she not know how, but she doesn't even have the capacity to be able to contend for herself in that space. And God meets her there. He enters into her reality where she is. And um, the scripture is clear about her crying rivers of tears and and her lad as well crying. They are crying. And it says, God sees their tears. I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful that the God that we serve does not just sit on high watching us in our pain and in our suffering and in the things that cause us, you know, the tears to fall down from our eyes. Because listen, we all got something. Um, Even if you right now are in a season of relative peace and ease in your life, just keep living because the time is coming where something is going to cause personally, personally, Or like you said, globally, something's going to cause tears to fall down from your eyes. And and I love this picture in Genesis 21 of God coming into this wilderness, of seeing their tears, not rebuking them for it, scolding them for it, telling them to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, but rather entering into their experience and um, offering them comfort there. And it even says that Yahweh opened Hagar's eyes so that she could see a well of water. He didn't move her to the well of water. The well of water had been there, but it's God himself entering to her experience that supernaturally causes her eyes to open, to see refreshing that did not just supernaturally arrive. He had planned for that refreshing to meet her in that wilderness before she'd ever even gotten there. And I think that we have to remind ourselves and that I am even encouraged in that, that God knew what I would face for my family in the past two years, there has been one very hard thing after another, one loss after another, one incredible um, difficult circumstance, a diagnosis after another. And in that, I have to know that God's sovereignty is so complete that he's got wells of water in those wildernesses, wilderness experiences, that he set there well before I even arrived, knowing that I would need those to sustain me and refresh me even as I walked through it. So I'm really encouraged by that story.
1: Amen. Amen. I'm You're not the moderator,
2: here, <laughs> so you'll have to correct me. I'm not the moderator, but um, may I ask?
1: Oh, you can do whatever
2: you want, Miss Cynthia. <laughs> I, I got a, a picture of something as you were talking. Repeat that again. What you said about her tears? Oh, you said this even a- the
3: Um I was saying. I was saying it, Genesis twenty-one says that God saw their tears. It specifically maps right. out that right. he right.
2: You were saying that the scripture even verifies, We were talking about how much they cried, how much they teared.
3: Yes, saying it it recognizes the fact that she was, was emotional about her state. So she wasn't hiding or being covert about how difficult this was. She was weeping. It says that also the child was weeping and that God heard the cries. I love that.
1: Amen. I love that. I love that. God sees our tears. I, that pain a formula.
3: That,
2: that pain, you know, you're giving me something new here. Hmm. In theory, in construct, not in not in fact, literal. But what if the tears that we allow to release in our suffering help to constitute the very well of water that he shows us? Because you've got this flow coming from her. And her son, and then he shows her an existing well of water. But if you think about it, the way you presented it, you've got a merging of waters—that that's coming out of her, and that that he's showing her. So we can go ahead and and not deny the pain. We don't have to deny the suffering. We can weep, and that become out of that out of that flowing, there is another flowing and refreshing. You painted that so beautiful. I could see the see a well from her and her son and then a, a bigger narrative, a larger well. God does that. Thank you.
3: Come on and yes. teach us, Cynthia. Come on. No, that's
2: your word. That's your word. <laughs> yeah,
1: praise God. Praise I God. Lisa, that. what about you?
0: Um, For me, the Psalms really helped me in suffering. Um, when the psalmist says that he bottles our tears, uh, that has stuck with me in times of suffering because it's a reminder that God sees me, that He is aware of the pain that I'm yeah. in, and that He cares about the tears that I forget about. You know, I think about like laying on my pillow and crying and waking up and forgetting sometimes that I cried myself to sleep, but the fact that God Knows and intimately cares, and then there's uh, when the psalmist says, I believe it's Psalm 42 is one of my dad's favorite passages to preach. So he's preached it so many times throughout my life, uh, but it stuck with me when it when he um, David says, Why art thou cast out, O my soul? And then he mm-hmm. says, Hope thou in God. It is a reminder mm-hmm. that we have hope that when our souls are overwhelmed, when we feel tired, when we experience intense suffering to remember, to switch our minds, that we serve a God that is greater than the present circumstances. We have an eternal hope that even when we don't get justice here in the here and now, we know that God will make all things right. And there's gonna be a time where he takes away all suffering and there will be no tears left to cry um, because he is the God of hope. And that's what holds me in suffering. Amen.
1: Amen. I'm having a good time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> so just hearing all of you just share, it seems like in moments of suffering is when you experience the Lord's nearness the most. Um, and we know that that's not the case for everyone that for some people, when suffering enters into their lives, they feel very distant um, from God and may even go to the extent to say that there is no God. And so what do you say to the person who in in response to suffering concludes that, that there is no God? How would you respond to them?
0: I remember sitting in my New Test my New Testament class, one of my religion courses in undergrad, and me and my professor were having a very interesting back and forth uh because he was had turned agnostic. He's turned from a, a conservative Christian to a uh, agnostic and he was borderline atheist and we were having this logical discussion back and forth. And I was one to go back and forth with my professors about the Bible in in undergrad. And he went from super logical to uh, really emotional. And he was like, why did God let my child be born with Down syndrome? And for him, I realized at that very moment that his issue with the faith was his daughter being born with this disability and him seeing her suffer and her, um, her dealing with this and that hurt him to his heart, to the point where he he almost had a disconnect that it couldn't be a God because if this God exists, um, he wouldn't allow this because a loving, all knowing, all powerful God wouldn't allow this to happen to anyone. And I think a lot of people are there. They're only, what they do with pain and suffering is to conclude that there is no God. And I think when we experience people that have that testimony, we have to give them a listening ear because I think people need to get out their frustrations uh, about God. And oftentimes they need to question. And sometimes they've grown up in a church culture where they're not allowed to question. And sometimes getting out the frustration about what God has allowed in your life, really helps them to heal from that trauma. So the first thing when I'm encountering someone who is in a space like that is to listen to them, to listen to their pain, and also share my own story and my testimonies of suffering to to show them, hey, there's there's a, a way in which you could grieve and vent and tell God your frustration. The Psalms is full of David and other psalmists pouring out their frustration, but it also ends in hope and not pushing away the God that created us.
3: Amen. I love that. And just to echo, echo that as well, I think that in our suffering there is a way to ask questions of God without actually questioning God. Mm. That there is an invitation that we have, actually, to express ourselves to the Lord, like Job, to say, I don't get this, I don't understand, to cry the tears that Hagar cried, to be able to be honest in our humanity and in our frailty and to bring the full expression of that in our relationship to the Lord. And we can do that without questioning God's character that he is still who he said he is. He can still do everything that he says that he can do. Um, and so there is a way to to allow both of those to be on the playing field of our reality and our relationship with with God. Question, ask questions of him, but don't allow that to in any way diminish or manipulate or distort the character of who God is. Our circumstances do not change his character. Amen. There's, there's,
2: there's so much wisdom in those responses. I want to sit somewhere and just take notes and write in my Bible, but um, wearing another hat and and borrowing from another uh, language or another discipline, we tend to call that meaning context suffering, Mm -hmm. um, where a person assumes that God is the direct cause of their suffering or they assume that God uh, has them suffering for a specific discoverable meaning. Um, which is not necessarily the case as has been said so well. Um, One reason I hesitate on that response is that the question almost implied as though we would try perhaps to dissuade the person from what sounded like an atheistic point of view. So I was glad um, that it was responded to the way it is. But when I turn it on myself, I have allowed myself I know better than to say, there is no God. I have too much experience to say that. But if I would be honest, when I'm in a hole, uh, I have to find a light to shine in that hole so I don't hide in it. Mm -hmm. And And though I would not articulate it, there is a space in me in deep trouble that says, where is God? I may not say why, and I may not question if he is, but I would say I can't find you, which I guess is closer to that Job response. Um, and I, and to be honest, in the deepest places, I, I resent the fact, not God, but I resent the fact that I can't find it. Since mm. I know you're there, but I didn't know you, but I know you're there. So why make it so difficult for me to come in your presence? And I think that there's, I don't know, I just like to have fun with thoughts, but I think there must be a special grace and grief mm. that allows us to, to go through our form of denial, not denying his existence, but denying that this, this can't really be happening to me. This can't really be going on like this. This just can't be the case. And whatever those stages are, denial and anger, whatever model you subscribe to trying to bargain or some form of low spiritedness, I won't call it depression uh, and acceptance. However we go through that, I think there's a special form of grace that must exist for that because we forget how totally human Jesus was. We focus so much on his divinity as though he were the incarnate word just living on earth. But he has brought dignity to our pain and mm-hmm. dignity, a divine dignity, if I might say, to our suffering. And I think that's why we can find healing in pain. Not healing from pain always, but healing in pain. And find a level of redemption in pain. Um, because I believe he has. We are relating to the Lord on a, on another plane. Not that we're looking to do that now. Uh, we're not asking for that. But I think that possibility exists when we suffer. I hope that's not talking too
3: long. But. No, ma'am. Yeah. No, ma'am. Well, I just, I just, if it's okay, I wanted to just say I, I, I appreciate that so much, Miss Cynthia, because there is a, a really like a theology of suffering, um, where we have to see our suffering in a way while we're in it. As a gift that God has given us to um, show us what it is to allow the Holy Spirit to bubble up within us in a way that without that bit of suffering we would not have the opportunity to experience, Mm -hmm. to give us eyes to see him and have a relationship with him that is more concrete than what we would have to give us a renewed and escalated compassion and yeah. empathy for other people so that our ministry becomes more effective that we could not have apart from entering into their suffering. So in our Western world in particular, we have a way of wanting to pray our way out of everything that right. is not easy or comfortable or makes us happy. We wanna get out of it as quick as possible where in some other parts of the world, we find a lot of belief Believers who in suffering pray first, Lord, help me to see you in this. Help me, Lord, to be formed by your spirit in this. Help your name to be glorified in this. And yes, I can pray for my circumstances to change. But my primary prayer first is that you would receive glory while I suffer. Help me to suffer well. Mm -hmm. And so I appreciate what you're saying there about maybe changing our perspective um, a bit on suffering while we're there, God mm-hmm. might as well be glorified in it. And we might as well be changed into his likeness and his image while we walk through it. Yeah. I like that you call suffering a gift. And to
2: me, words come on a train like beads. So when you said gift, what I see is he trusted me with the gift. You mm-hmm. don't give a little child a big a big gift something they could hurt them. You don't give a little child an electric toy because they might hurt themselves on the electric toy. You wait till they're of age. But if he gifted me with this big experience, then he trusts me. Hallelujah. He trusts me to be able to handle it and to bring my faith, if it's not there, to bring it to that level where I can handle the gift uh, and, and I, I, I want to, I want to fuse gift and trust somehow. Um, mm-hmm. You're saying it that he gifted it to us. Yeah. What a gift.
0: As you were, as you were talking, Priscilla, I couldn't help but think about Paul's words that um, in our, in our, um, in our suffering, he gives comfort for us to comfort others, yeah. and um, he, he, as at, at a certain point in our suffering, he removes the pain, but he leaves the comfort so that we can pass the comfort on to others. And I think that is one gift that has helped me to to think about suffering differently as you're talking about a gift that we are able to, through our experience, pass on and comfort others.
1: Priscilla, you just said something that I thought was really powerful. You said that when it comes to suffering, sometimes we can take our Western mentality into suffering where we kind of want Uh, suffering to move fast, right? Um, And we want instant gratification. Like we want the Lord to answer our prayers immediately on the spot. And how, because of that, um, we we don't really know how to suffer well. When you said those two words, I was like, yes, what does it mean to suffer well? And so what what are some of the things that you think we need to shed, like maybe put off? And then what are some things that we need to put on in order to suffer well?
3: Well, you know, I'm reminded when you asked that question of um, when Jesus was with Peter and, and he says to him, you know, Satan has asked to sift you. Yeah. And then Jesus says, "And I, but I've prayed for you. What he did not pray was that he would not have to go through what he was about to go through. He prayed that despite the fact you're going to go through it, I'm praying that while you go through it, your faith will be strengthened. Do you see how the the perspective with which Jesus prayed was not that he wouldn't have to do hard things and go through hard stuff. It was that in the midst of it, he would become the man that um, God intended for him to become and be able to produce through his life, what he wanted to produce through his life. And so then that becomes the framework then for our prayers in the midst of suffering. And, and of course I want to to balance that and reconcile with the fact that we are able to make our requests known we are able to bring to the Lord the issues and concerns that we are facing and ask for him because he is capable. He is all powerful. He can turn stuff around. His word um, can, can is suddenly and intentionally and quickly make things different in our lives. So yes, we can make our requests known. I don't wanna diminish or in any way minimize that. But at the same time, our prayer lives should also be punctuated with this goal that Christ's light be seen in me, that I be shaped into his image, um, that has to also be a part of what we are praying. Um, And so when we suffer well, what that means is that we remind ourselves consistently to have a perspective, um, an eternal perspective about everything we are facing on earth, that we remember that what the abundant life is, is not the absence of It's not the absence of pain or hardship. The abundant life is while we're in it, because we're we're on earth, you're going to have trouble here on earth. So while we're here, abundant life is, I have the Holy Spirit living within me. So where I would be afraid, where I would be intimidated, where I'd be paralyzed by insecurity, where I would not have the patience, the long suffering, the self-control, the faith that the peace and joy that the world does not have because they are distant in their relationship with God. I don't have to live that way. I can walk through this storm with a sense of well being, able to function well, able to respond well, able to keep my eyes on the hope that is found in Jesus. I can do that, not because I'm powerful and strong and amazing, but because God's spirit lives on the inside of me. So it means recognizing the pain, and talking to the Lord about it and being honest and vulnerable with him in our humanity. But then suffering well also means that we keep the Holy Spirit um, centralized in our life so that we can walk through it with a sense of courage and security.
1: Uh, hallelujah. Um, Dr. Cynthia or Lisa, do you have anything to add to what it means to to suffer well? I don't know that
2: any can be added to that but so comprehensive. But uh, what it says to me is that I'm moving from seeing God as the problem or as the one who caused the problem to experiencing God as the source of the strength to go through and to endure and to have victory in it. Um, And it's that shift in thinking that I think I heard. um, uh, Miss Priscilla, she was taking us through that. You can almost feel yourself gaining strength. And whatever obstacle is not before us,
1: Amen. Dr. Cynthia, you had said something earlier when you were sharing the story um, uh, about the the young woman and her her father, who was a king, who had kind of made some some brash statements, um, and how because of that um, she endured some suffering, but how she created a community. Around her, and one of the things that we all know is that people respond to suffering very differently. You know, some people run to God, some people run away from God, Um, some people run to pass sin, or even like create uh, new patterns of of sin. Um, Suffering kind of creates this uh, fight or flight response (laughs) um, in us, and so um, here's a question. Um, that I want to throw out to you all is like, how how do you walk alongside someone well during suffering? Um, And I'm not just talking about counseling them, but like, how do you walk with them in their suffering? And maybe another way to think about it is like, how have have people walked alongside you um, in your own personal suffering um, that's been meaningful? Lisa, let's have you go first. (laughs)
0: Um, But one of the ways that people have walked through me through suffering is just being present. I think um, we underestimate the power of presence in the lives of those who are suffering. And I think one of the most helpful ways that people have walked with me through my own personal suffering is just to be present. And I think sometimes when we think about being present, we get intimidated because we think we have to say the right thing um, or have something profound to say in that moment, but I think about Job's friends and they were effective until they started talking. And so I think <laughs> one of the things <laughs> that we could do when people are suffering is uh, to be a silent presence to um, as they go through their process and be able to speak when the Lord gives us something to say, um, but don't try to conjure up something. Um, if there's nothing to say in that moment, it's okay to be silent and present in the midst of people suffering.
1: Yeah. Amen. The ministry of presence. Yes. So I, you have I, anything to add? That?
3: that is exactly what I was going to say, <clears throat> excuse me. I was going to say the ministry of presence, being there, being present in someone's space is just, there's such a value in that. Mm.
1: Well, I want to end um, our time out with uh, testimony time. (laughs) Um, And the reason why I want to do that Um, is because I think, you know, we're living in a time where it's really hard to keep the goodness of God in front of us. Right. Um, Especially when you're scrolling on your IG page and you just you're just taking in all this bad news. um, And it's just hard to keep the goodness of the Lord in front of you. And I remember um, one night sitting with my roommate and saying to her, man, it just feels like the devil is winning, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and I shocked myself because I'm saved, (laughs) (laughs) sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. (laughs) And here I go, You know, I'm saying to myself, like, man, it just feels like the evil one is is winning. And she did the sweetest thing. She just started to list off all the ways that she saw the Lord's goodness in her own life um, and even the ways that she saw it in my life. And so I just want to invite you to do the same, to testify about the goodness of the Lord. And so how have you... Tasted and seen the goodness of the Lord, even in the midst of your personal suffering. Dr. Cynthia, I would love it if you would, would start us off.
2: Mm. Uh, I, I want to respond to where we were, as well as go with this question and be mindful of the time. I think after we have exhibited that ministry of presence, and when there is an opening for conversation, I think one of the things we can do and that people have done for me, and that I try to help myself do, is to reframe the issue that I'm dealing with. Uh, Not to give solutions to other people or have an answer, but find more and varied ways to articulate what are the options in front of me. Uh, Because at first it just feels like in suffering, there's nothing I can do, there's no way out, every door is closed. But in time, I believe we can begin to say, there are some ways out there are some ways through. I do have some choices and life is a choice. If it's no more, it may not be a choice to remove the pain, but it may be a choice as to how I'm going to engage the pain. Uh, It may be a choice that, yes, some thoughts are gonna run through my mind, looks like the enemy is winning as you say, but after that runs through, I don't have to see the world from that negative thought. I can look at it, but I don't have to view the world from that place. Uh, the testimony, one of the testimonies I have many during this season of pandemic and sheltering in is that it's caused me to confront myself in new ways. I predictably have to deal with busyness because busyness is not effectiveness and busyness is not necessarily kingdom work. But I've had to look at it in ways that I possibly would have procrastinated or made excuses and really pare down. And I, I tend to say at this age in my life, uh, something my mother used to always say now that she's passed to be with the Lord, I adopted it, and say, I'm getting ready for my final exam. That doesn't say it's imminent, doesn't say it's long-term, because I, I don't know. I was saying that to myself the other day, and the thought that came back to me, well, if you're getting ready, when are you going to get started? So mm. one things that I'm trying to do now is I heard that coming out of my spirit as a child challenge to use the time for more self-examination, more laying bare before the Lord. Uh, You know, you can have a dull pencil and write a word, but it's much better if you have a sharpened point and a keen point. I want to be brought to that keen place where I don't make a smudge mark. I make a clear, uh, um, uh, discernible, that's the word, a clearly discernible uh, life and witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if that's even in the realm of what you asked me, but it was what I was feeling. Amen. Um, I
0: I could go next. Um, I think um, when I think about a testimony of suffering, I remember when we decided to do our first Courageous Conversations event and I was Really stressed out. I was like, God, why uh, have you called me to do this? Uh, it's a lot of um, a lot of criticism. I, I just felt this overwhelming sense that it was just a lot going on, and it was too much. And uh, my friend Pastor Charlie Gates had gassed me up and told me I could do it, and I was like, Okay, I'm gonna do it. And then uh, then the price tag came, and I was just like, Oh no, this isn't this is not a good idea. And I remember reading. In Joshua, um, the day the sun stood still. And as they were uh, fighting, um, and they prayed to the Lord, and the the Lord sent a hailstorm. And I remember reading that the hail killed more than all of their fighting. And it reminded me that God, even in the midst of our suffering, even, even in the midst of our trials, even in the midst of us doing all that we could do, he supersedes our efforts. And so when I was exhausted, when I was tired, when I was fatigued, God came in and showed himself strong in a way where I remember we were in a fundraising time and I think I had only raised like $5,000 and I met with someone and they were like, I've been advocating for you on our campus and we're gonna give you a check for $10,000. And that scripture immediately came to my mind that God supersedes our efforts, that the hailstorm killed more than all our efforts. And it was just a reminder that God has got me and that he's always gonna give provision because he's given vision. And uh, I'm just constantly comforted by that story when I'm in my own suffering, that God is there, he is present and he's gonna do what needs to be done for his glory to to shine through.
3: Oh, I love that so much, that was great. For me, you know, the past two years has been dotted with uh, a lot of hard stuff. Um, Without giving all of the details, we have lost eight people in our family in the past two years. Every sort of four to six months, we've had another loss. And in the middle of that, um, I had a diagnosis where I had to go in to have surgery this past January, and they had to remove the whole upper lobe of my left lung uh, to take care of this issue. Um, That surgery took place um, a week and a half or so after my mother died. Um, And then uh, just two weeks ago, my mother-in-law, who was healthy and fine, she went to take a nap. She lived here with us, very vibrant woman. She went to take a nap and uh, my son walked into check on her and say hi to granny, and she was gone just like that. So um, she is the eighth person in our family to go home to be with the Lord sort of in a way that we weren't anticipating. It has been extraordinarily hard. But I will tell you that when you ask the question about what encouragement there is in the midst of struggle, in the last months of my mother's life, um, she died December 30th of 2019, There was so much hope. There was so much joy. There was so much peace that bubbled up on the inside of her. There were questions she had that we all had. We were wondering why God, it didn't look like, was answering the request to heal her. In her case, she had a rare cancer that we were praying he would heal. We could just picture how God would get so much glory if he answered in the way we were praying. We couldn't understand why he wouldn't. But as her health continued to deteriorate and I watched my mother continue to give God praise, she never questioned his character. She encouraged us to not be discouraged and to not to back down in our ministries, but to keep on being vocal and unapologetic about who Jesus is, to watch my mom have that much hope even when she knew she was staring at the end of her days and looking at the end of her time on earth, that right there is all the encouragement I think I will ever need for the rest of my life. Knowing that even when you were staring at death, when you have a thing, a real thing going on with Jesus, then you can have peace even in the midst of the most difficult, difficult circumstances. So I share that to say that the encouragement that that gave me to see someone literally at um, the end of life still have a peace that passes all understanding. That right there is enough encouragement to keep me going through all the stuff that's coming up, not only globally, but also in our personal lives as well. If God, if that does not prove that God is real, I don't know what does. Wow.
0: Yeah. That's that encouraged me,
1: amen. Priscilla, as you were talking, it made me think about Ephesians 2 and how it talks about the the state of the unbeliever is that they live in this world, right? This fallen world without God and without hope. And that for us as believers, the only thing that makes a difference, right? Because we still gotta live in the same world, is that we live in this world with God and we live in this world with hope. Um, and as all of you shared today, those are the two things that have have just come out um, over and over again about the Lord's presence. Like we live in this world with God, he is with us. Um, And then we live in this world with hope, right? We don't interpret our present um, in light of what we just see with our eyes, but we we interpret it in light of where we are going. And so thank you ladies so much um, for um, just being with us, Today and sharing your heart and your story, um, I am so thankful for the time that you spend in your word, apart from any sort of platform that you're on, because it just it just oozes out of you um, as you shared stories. Um, you can tell that these are things that you have just sat quietly with um, the Lord. Yes, ma'am. I just want to say, you know, here it, publicly, really,
3: that we are so grateful. For the JU3 project, we are so grateful for the energy, the effort, the insight, the discernment, the wisdom. Lisa, you talked about the amount of effort you've had to put into the raising of funds, the backing that you need, just moving forward in what God has entrusted to you. We want you to know that we affirm you, we celebrate you. Lives are being changed because you are being a good steward of the ministry that God has given you. So bravo, bravo to you.
1: Thank you, thank you. That's encouraging. Amen. Well, friends, yes, I hope yes. that, go for it.
2: <laughs> well, I'm still energized by saying I'll make it brief. But uh, as one who is uh, in a forefront, and as we were saying, the central worker in, in the spirit, uh, it's incumbent upon us, those of us who are passing a baton or pass the baton or those uh, like Lady Priscilla running alongside of you to be wise and uh, be hurt, and discern that there's such value in the message that you carry, that we need to fend off those who would distort the agenda, those who would alter the agenda, those who would reframe the agenda that God has given you. Uh, you know his call and his purpose, and you have responded so beautifully, and we're godly proud of Thank your you. labor. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Amen. Amen. Well, friends, I, I pray that you've been blessed by this conversation um, that we've had today about navigating suffering. I know that I have. And so um, we look forward to uh, the next session.
0: Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune in to all our past episodes at wwwjew 3 project.